We want to take a moment to honor those who serve in the U.S. military. These selfless individuals sign up to protect their country and often must do this away from family and away from friends. Many of us will never understand the things you experience for the sake of our freedom and protection. The things you see, the burdens you will carry with you for a lifetime, and the hardships you face in silence. You put your lives on hold and give your all for your country. You risk your life to allow us to have the freedoms we have today. Because of you, we have the freedom to speak our minds, the freedom to pursue our dreams, and the freedom to worship our Creator. We admire you. We thank you for your sacrifice. To all of our military, we want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for your service in bettering our country. We love our veterans and our service members, don't we? My goodness. You can have a seat. These brave men and women who stand before you, they have given so much and they have sacrificed so much so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have in our country today. Not only do we want to recognize these brave men and women who stand before us right now, but we also want to recognize the families who have stood in the gap, who have sacrificed so much and have been the backbone of the home while their loved one was away fighting for our freedoms. So if you're a family member of these men and women, would you please stand so we might honor you at this time? Family members, stand, would you? You could have a seat. You know, our flag flies today not because of the wind, but it blows because of the breath of every man and woman who has served in our military and has ensured our freedoms. And that's why we are the home of the free and the home of the brave. So I want to say a word of prayer for all these friends who are standing here among us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for these brave men and women who stood in the gap for us, who sacrificed time, sacrificed time with family, time with God. They sacrificed on the front lines serving you and protecting our freedoms. And Lord, I pray that you would put a special blessing upon them. Lord, that they would know that they are honored in this place. And Lord, that what they have done and what they are currently doing was not in vain. Lord, I pray that you would return your blessing upon our country, that you would see faithful men and women like this, and Lord, that you would heal our land. Lord, I thank you for the family members who gave so much to serve here at home while their loved ones were away fighting for us. And Lord, I pray that you would give them a special blessing as well. Lord, I can only imagine how difficult it must be moving from place to place, finding yourself in harm's way, wondering what in the world is going to happen on the next day. And yet these brave men and women do this, and they do it for you, and they do it for us. So, Lord, bless them, bless their homes, bless their families, and, Lord, please bless the United States of America. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As they return to their seats, 
I want to share with you something that's coming up right around the corner. I want you to pull your phone out, if you would. Everybody pull your phone out. Pastor said it was okay. You've missed it for 20 minutes. Now you can caress it once again in your hand. I want you to open up the Sagebrush app because I know every single one of you has already downloaded the Sagebrush app. And I want you right in this moment to invite a family member, a friend, a coworker, a classmate to come to this year's Christmas tree lighting. Some of you are new to Sagebrush. You've never experienced a Christmas tree lighting before. You're saying, what in the world is a Christmas tree lighting? Well, take a look at this. The Christmas season is upon us, and that means it's time for our annual Christmas tree lighting. Come join us from November 28th through December 1st at 7 p.m. for a special service filled with joy and fun. We'll sing together, hear the Christmas story, have a candle lighting, and then enjoy some hot chocolate, cookies, and even take photos with some of your favorite characters. This is a family-friendly event, so invite and bring everyone you can. Each Sagebrush location will be hosting its own services. Find one near you by visiting sagebrush.church events or through the Sagebrush app. For those who can't join us in person, we'll also be streaming December 1st at 7 p.m. Watch at sagebrush.church live or on YouTube. This is the perfect way to kick off your Christmas season. You don't want to miss it. We hope to see you there. This is one of our big things for the year. So you see the banner on the very top says Christmas tree lighting. You click on the banner. Okay, real simple. Click on the banner. It'll open up to different campuses. You will then pick the campus that you attend. Here where I'm speaking live for the multi-sites figured out. Um, uh, it's Riverside. Okay? And we have a little competition amongst all the campuses who can send the most invites out. We're doing it by percentage because it wouldn't be fair, okay? So I'm counting on you to help a brother out right now. So think about who could you invite, click on the campus, then click on the share button or, or the share button for the Android user and go ahead and just start sending out those different texts and take them out to dinner beforehand or go out for dessert afterwards. It's always just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Now, I need to let you know this year Santa is going to be coming to, uh, at the Riverside campus to the Christmas tree light. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, uh-oh, I can't believe we've got Santa coming. This is about Jesus, Todd. And don't you know that if you scramble up the letters to Santa, it spells Satan? Didn't you know that? I mean, it does. We shouldn't have Santa Claus around here. Well, before you get all upset and get to your keyboard and write me some liquid courage on a keyboard and send me an email, I'm not going to read it anyway. So I just want you to know that, all right? Uh, but we're going to have Santa Claus. And when you're standing in line to get your picture taken with Santa Claus, we're giving all your kids a chocolate Santa plus a, a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper talks about who the real Santa Claus was. And how he loved Jesus so very much and how he was so generous to the people around him and how these people continue the legacy of that generosity. So don't feel like we've invited Satan to come to the Christmas tree lighting because we haven't. And if you don't participate in Santa Claus, that's okay. It's going to be another building. It's not going to be a big deal uh, at all. All right? Okay. I hope that you are enjoying this series called Escaping Ordinary as much as I've been enjoying this series as we've been looking at the very first church of Acts. It has reminded me of when we started so many years ago. Now, we've been talking about escaping ordinary, and we, we've talked about several things. The first week, we said if we're going to escape ordinary, we have to be people of prayer. 
until we pray with everything we've got, until we start setting time alone with God on a daily basis, we're never going to outpace ordinary. We're just going to be like everybody else with an ordinary relationship with Jesus. And I think I know you well enough to know that that's not what you're in this thing for. You're not in for anything being ordinary in your life. And then we talked about in week two of this series that we've got to do this together, that we are better Together, that we're supposed to put our arms together, we're supposed to advance the kingdom of God and kick down the very gates of hell itself. And so, I encourage you to get into a small group. And over 350 of you so far have signed up to be a part of a small group. And we've made it really easy for you to find one. All you got to do is go to the Sagebrush app, click down the banner that says on-campus small groups. And there are lots of available opportunities for you to do that. Then the third week of this series, we talked about we've got to be the people who see a need and we meet the need. Right? We, we don't want to just be people who do acts of service. We want to be people who are servants. Every place we walk into, we're looking for needs and we're meeting the needs. We're being the hands and feet of Jesus. That's how you escape ordinary. And then last week, we talked about the boldness that Peter and John had. They were so bold. And when these people came to them and they said, you will no longer speak in the name of Jesus ever again, they said, well, we're not going to do that. Salvation is found in no one else. So there's no other name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. And so if you want to escape ordinary, you have to be bold. You have to be strong. You have to be confident. Well, we're getting into the next chapter, and I've really enjoyed this looking at this early church because it reminds me of the early days of our church. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Sagebrush was a portable church for eight and a half years. That means we set it up and we tore it down for eight and a half years. We met for 10 months at Petroglyph Elementary School. Then we moved down the street to LBJ Middle School. Now, if you're the parent of a middle school student, you know there's no funk like middle school kids funk, you know? You want to say, kid, take a shower, would you? Apply deodorant. That might be helpful as well. Well, we would go in there. We'd have to clear off the gum from the bleachers that the kids so lovingly left behind. We'd have to mop all the floors. Here's, here's a, a time-lapse video of us putting up all the auditorium stuff. Now, you can see in the video there's going to be a black backdrop that comes up. See those two red doors that's going up right now? That's where the bathrooms were. At least where, that's where the locker rooms were. But you couldn't walk up on the stage to get to the bathrooms. You had to walk down a different hallway. But it was always a humbling thing. I'd be in the middle of some really important point, and I'd hear a toilet flush right behind me. You can't get a big head when somebody really lets you know what they think of the message from time to time. You know what I mean? There was a thermostat over on the wall over by those black drapes. And, and once in a while, the, the pipes would freeze up. And air would get into the pipes. And it would allow this high-pitched whistle sound. And so I had to, as I'm preaching, I would walk over to where the thermostat was. And I had to raise it all the way up and then raise it back down again. And you hear this coming out of the pipes. And if I didn't do that two or three times during my message, you wouldn't be able to hear a word that I had to say. There was one weekend between Christmas and New Year's, they forgot to turn the heat on. And it was like minus six degrees outside, and we walked in there. You could see the breath in the gym because they forgot to turn the heat on during the Christmas vacation. In fact, Bobby Church was teaching that particular weekend, and he told the folks, he said, listen, while I'm speaking, keep poking the person next to you. Make sure they didn't die of hypothermia, all right? Let's make sure of that. We had one weekend they forgot to turn the air on. 
And so it was hot. Oh, it was so hot. We had a 1 o'clock service that went to 2 o'clock. It was so hot. We opened up the back doors. We have an elder in our church that has a dog, and he put his dog in the back of his truck. Well, the dog got hot, so he starts finding some place that would cool him off, and he finds a big puddle of mud. So he starts rolling around the puddle of mud. Well, then he thinks, well, I'll go find my master. So the doors are wide open. So he comes in. I'm at this pivotal moment of my message. And this dog, I see it from the back, just comes in and starts going up and down the aisle, sliming everybody along the way. But my favorite, favorite weekend was when a fifth grade little sinner started making fart noises behind me. He had gotten out of his class and went to that bathroom that was behind me, and he opened up the door to see what was going on. He saw the black curtain and realized no one knew that they could, you know, we couldn't see him. And so he starts making fart noises with his hands. And I'm like, where did that come from? And it would be one thing if he did it like one time. The kid kept coming back. He'd go back to the class. He'd go back to the bathroom, make fart noises, go back to the class, come back. He just thought it was the funniest thing. It's hard enough keeping your attention, but when you got somebody making fart noises behind you, and then you realize everybody on the front row can hear them, and they think they're coming from you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not good. So I thought, I'm going to catch that little sinner. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to catch that little sinner. I thought, if he comes back one more time, I'm in this message. I'm going to say the quickest closing prayer I've ever said in my life, and I'm going to catch him. Sure enough, he started making fart noises. I prayed, amen, and I ran behind that backdrop, and I ran through that bathroom, and the little sinner was run away. And he cut the corner, and he got in the midst of all these third, fourth, and fifth graders, and he blended in. And I couldn't figure out which one it was. Well, as I was running to catch this kid, the Cracker Jack security team was there in the foyer in a circle drinking coffee. I said, hey, did you see a kid keep going back to the bathroom over and over again? They said, yeah, we saw that. I said, did you ever think to stop and ask him why he kept going back to the bathroom? They said, well, we just thought he had digestive issues. <laughs> Cracker Jack security team that they were, I tell you what. We never know what we were getting into from week to week. It was absolute chaos. But we did know this. The Spirit of God was in that place. People were giving their lives to Jesus Christ. People were getting baptized. And you know what? If you weren't there, you missed it. It was incredible. It was a move of God like I have never been a part of. And you think, man, it's sweet here right now. Friends, you don't have any clue. We have moments today, glimpses of how amazing God was moving in our midst. But we saw that week after week after week at LBJ Middle School. That's why I love studying the first church so much, because I can relate to what they were going through. So we're up to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Let's look at it. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them. For time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money for the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this was a generous group of people, okay? 
And, and they were generous not because they had to, not because they were guilted to do it. They were generous because they wanted to. Heard a story this past week about a pastor who was sitting in his study, and he got a phone call. There's a guy from the IRS on the other end. He says, this, is this Pastor Johnson? He said, well, yes, it is. He says, my name's so-and-so. I'm from the IRS. I, I, can you answer a couple of questions for me? Pastor said, well, I'll try. He said, well, do you know John Timmons? He said, yes, I do. He said, is he a member of your church? He said, yes, he is. He said, did he give the church $10,000 last year? He said, yes, he will. <laughs> I like when you hesitated. That was so good to me. The people in the first church gave because they wanted to give. They wanted to advance the message of Jesus Christ. And they did it with a joyful heart. I mean, God loves a cheerful giver. And one of the things that I love about this church is we are, you guys have become such a generous church. You have now given $3.7 million in 11 months above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings for the 60 churches that we are building right now. That's absolutely amazing. It's amazing. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had an event here called the Spooktacular. And we sold all the tickets, you know, to the Spooktacular. And you, you bought some tickets, and you brought family members, and you brought friends to come with you, and you filled up your vehicles, and you, I think you had a great time. And the tickets were $20 apiece, and we told you that every dime that we got was going to go to Carrie Tingley Hospital. Well, this is Connie Chavez. She's a representative for Carrie Tingley Hospital, and you know Baba Church. Let's welcome Connie, all right, if you would. It's nice of her to come out for the weekend to do this. Connie, on behalf of Sagebrush Church, it is my honor and my privilege to give you this check for $40,000 to Carrie Tingley Hospital. This, this money, I'm told, will go to kids and families of children who have got handicaps, who can't get back in their home and function in their home, or they can't get back outside. This is going to provide all kinds of equipment for them to get their life back together again. And it happened because of your generosity. So thank you, Connie, for all your work with Carrie Tingley. One more time for Connie and Carrie Tingley Hospital. Thank you. Now, Connie, don't try to cash that check. It won't work, okay? We, we got to... That's, that's just a prop right there, okay? There's another check we'll give you later on. Isn't that fun? I mean, there's just nothing better than what we can do together. And the early church gathered together, and they gave. And they gave because they wanted to give. And there was one guy, his name was Joseph. And Joseph said, you know what? I want the message of Jesus to be spread. I want needs to be built. And so what he did is he sold a field. And he brought the money. Look, at it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, can you imagine how encouraging this must have been to these guys? I know exactly how encouraging it was. In the early days of our church, we were trying to save every dime we possibly could. And it wasn't very many dimes, to be honest with you. And so we knew we needed to buy property to become permanent. You can't be portable forever. And so we went to banks, and we said, would you be willing to loan us any kind of money? And they asked us over and over again, how much money do you have? And I said, well, we don't have any money. That's why we've come to you. 
if, if I had money, then I, I wouldn't be coming to the bank. I'd be using the money that I've already got. But we don't have money. I need you to borrow, loan some money for me. Make sense, does it? Well, they wouldn't talk to us. And honestly, at some point in time, even though there's a ton of people that was coming, I wasn't sure the church was going to make it. Because we just had no financial future. We had no stake in the ground moment. I was uh, in the foyer after the service. And a gentleman approached me after. And he said, I sold a piece of my business. And I want to give you this check. And he handed it to me. And I opened it up. And it was a six-figure check. And it was addressed to the church. So I said, that's good. <laughs> Just messing around. He said, I believe in this church, and I believe in the potential of what it can accomplish and what it can do, and I'm hoping that this money that I'm giving to you today will leap us forward to the future that I believe that God has for us. It was the first time that someone had sacrificed in such a manner that they wanted to make the, the mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known a priority of their life, and I, I didn't feel as alone anymore. I felt like I had a friend who had my back and who wanted to see this become everything that I believed that God could let it become. And it was a great encouragement to me. So if you're ever wondering how to encourage your pastor, this is how you do it right here, okay? Friends, listen to me. Everything we've seen, pretty much everything we've seen, all started as a result of that check. Because banks that wouldn't talk to us, all of a sudden they wanted to talk to us. Banks that want nothing to do with this all of a sudden said, you know what, we, we might want to you know, make you one of our clients and, and loan you some money. The property that Riverside's on. Well, if the property of Riverside doesn't happen, the buildings don't happen. If the buildings don't happen, the multi-sites don't happen. Everything was a domino effect, and it all started with that faith gift of that one check. The disciples were so blown away, they said, listen, Joseph, that's just not a name that's going to work for us with you. We're going to change your name to Barnabas because it means a son of encouragement. Well, there was another couple that saw all this drama unfold before them. And they thought to themselves, you know, we got a field. I think, I think we'll, we'll sell it as well. well. Let's look at what happened to their story. Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out when buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So Ananias and Sapphira think, hey, man, they changed Joseph's names to Barnabas. He's now Mr. Encouragement. Maybe when we give some of this money, we'll be known as Mr. and Mrs. Generosity. But they ended up being Mr. and Mrs. Dead, didn't they? Here's the question. Why did God kill them? 
Did God kill them because they kept some of the money for themselves? No. No, that wasn't the issue. You see, the problem for Ananias and Sapphira is they claimed they gave it all. But in reality, they kept, they kept half for themselves. If they would have been honest about that, it wouldn't have been a problem at all. Hey, we sold this field for this amount of money, and we're giving you this amount off of that. And God would have been, hey, that's great. But they appeared to be something that they weren't. And they lied to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, now God did this one other time in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Whenever he begins something new, he expects purity, he expects holiness, he expects firm commitment and obedience to his commands. In the Old Testament, Joshua was leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And God had strictly forbade them. He said, Don't not, do not take any of the, the spoils of war. But there was a man named Achan who did exactly that. He took some of the gold, some of the silver, he buried it in his tent. Well, guess what? Children of Israel go to fight the next enemy nation and they lose. So they come back to camp, and they're like, why in the world did we lose? Why didn't God fight for us? And Joshua says they're sitting in the camp. And so through a series of events, they found out what Achan had done, and they killed Achan, and they killed his entire family for it. God was beginning a new people, a new nation. They needed to be holy. They needed to be set apart. They needed to be pure. What's happening here in Acts chapter 5? He's starting the church up. It needs to be holy. It needs to be pure. It needs to be set apart. How many times have you invited someone to church and they look at you and they say, yeah, I'm, like, uh, I'm not interested. You say, well, no, why don't you come? It's a lot of fun. Well, come on. And, oh, no, no, no. I've heard about your church. Church is just a bunch of hypocrites. That's all it is. That's all church is, just a bunch of hypocrites. Whenever I hear that, you know what I want to say? I want to say, come on. There's room for one more. Come on. We'd love to have you. Because the truth of the matter is, that's exactly who we are, right? I mean, we say one thing and we do another. We're hypocrites all the time. The human mind to deceive itself into making that which is wrong right is astounding, isn't it? We justify our hypocrisy. Listen, we know what God's word says about having sex before marriage. But we justify it. We say, we're just having a little bit of fun. It's not that big of a deal. Hey, we're in love. It's not like I'm doing anything that's hurting anybody. It's not like I'm going out and killing people. You see what I'm talking about? We say, well, you went out and you got drunk. The Bible says don't get drunk. You say, well, I was just out blowing off some steam. I was just having some fun with the girls. I was just having some fun with the guys. Wasn't that big of a deal. Justify. We lie, get ourselves out of a fix, get ourselves out of a mess. We call it white lies, as if those don't count. And we erode relationships, we lose our integrity. I mean, probably every single one of us has what I call incongruent values, where we, we say one thing, but we live completely opposite of what we say is true. For example, we say, oh, no, you should never gossip. Don't ever gossip. But then you hear something, and you're like, I, I have to share this, right? Or, or you say, yeah, I need to spend more time with my family. And, and you knew that for months, and your schedule hasn't changed. It's, your job's just as demanding. You haven't changed your ways. Here's my favorite one. We say, I don't want to be materialistic. And there's nobody who would stand up and say, I want to be a materialistic slob and just keep everything for myself. Nobody wants to be that. Everybody wants to be generous. 
but we're materialistic because we say we want to be generous and yet we keep spending everything we get on ourselves. You see, it's an incongruent value. We say one thing and then we turn around and we're doing the direct opposite. Listen to me. God is proud when our words and our life match up. And let me explain something to you. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for honesty. He's looking for truthfulness. Because this talking out of both sides of our mouth, saying one thing and living another way someplace else, is killing us. It's killing our soul. It's killing our witness. It's killing our kids. Take a look at this. Let's go, let's go. We don't got time for this. $33 is your total? dollars is your change. Score. Idiot. Start now. Why is the next generation turning away from the faith? Because they don't see authentic, real faith in their mom and their dad. That's the number one reason. So they see you come to church, they see you say the right things, sing the right songs, say the right prayers, and then they watch how you really live. And they find it unbelievable. And if your faith has no integrity, if your faith has no power, why would you think that your kids would want to walk and imitate that which is less than? Let me tell you about Ananias and Sapphira. They claimed that they had given their all to the Lord. But in reality, they'd only given him half. And i got to ask you a question. Does that summarize your life? That you claim that you're all fully surrendered, 100% committed, fully devoted follower of Jesus. Is that true? And can your kids say that that's true by the way that you live your life, by the way that you handle yourself, by the words that come out of your mouth, by the actions of your heart every single day that they have a front row seat to see? And not only do they have a front row seat to see it, but God has a front row seat to see it as well, doesn't he? Look at this in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So imagine that God's searching the earth to find one who is fully committed to him. When he searches your heart, when he searches your life, does he find someone who's wholeheartedly devoted to him? Not perfect, 
but it's the desire of your heart to follow him, to serve him with everything you say and everything you do? Or does he find a half-hearted commitment? Does he find someone who makes great big boast about how much they love Jesus and how much they'll sacrifice him, how much they'll surrender to him, and then they really see in reality that that's not even happening? Are you living a double life? I want to illustrate for you why a double life never works, how you have to become fully committed. And I'm going to use an illustration from the pinnacle of the cinematic experience. One of the greatest movies. I'm a child of the 80s. One of the greatest movies that ever was. I didn't see the remake with Will Smith's kid and, and Jackie Chan because how do you improve upon perfection? Of course, the movie that we're talking about is The Karate Kid. We got Danny LaRusso, right? And we've got Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Box on, box off. So many great life lessons in that movie. Well, let's see, Karate Kid fans, if you remember this. Miyagi says, all right, I'm going to teach you, Daniel's son, how to do karate. And so he says, are you ready to learn karate? And Daniel's son says, I guess so. And Mr. Miyagi says, no, 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 no. Walk on left side of the street. Okay, good. Walk on right side of street, good. Walk in middle, squish like grape. He said, Daniel, son, karate like life. Karate, yes, good. Karate, no, good. Karate, I guess so, squish like grape. Now, that's genius right there, isn't it? Either you're for him or you are against him. Isn't that what the book of Revelation says? I wish you were either fired up on fire for me, fully devoted, fully committed to me, or I wish you were an atheist. I wish you hated me. I wish you wanted nothing to do with me. But because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, for those of you who aren't fans of Karate Kid, I'll pray for you. But for those of you who are fans of Star Wars, in the words of Yoda, do or do not, there is no try. Let me give you another illustration that maybe they'll get this point out. You ever been to a public pool? And you see people go over to the public pool and they've waited all winter. They've waited all spring for this moment in time. It's warm enough. And so they go over their big fat toe and they stick it into the water to see if it's, if it's warm enough to jump in. And they stick their big fat toe in there and then they pull it back out again. Woo! And they scream like a little schoolgirl that they are, a little wuss. You know what I'm saying? They don't just jump in. You see this all the time. You're like, what in the world, man? You came to the pool. You got ready for the pool. This is the great day. It's really hot outside. Hey, man, the water might be a little cold, but when you jump in, you'll acclimate to the water. Jump in! Woo! If that doesn't describe American Christianity, what we have is a bunch of dabbling people. And they stick their big fat toe in Jesus and Jesus says it means surrender, it means sacrifice, it means everything you are, everything you hope to be. <laughs> and we won't dive in. And so what do we end up doing? We live a mediocre life where we make great big boasts, but we never back it up on a day-by-day -day basis. Friends, it's time to cannonball. It's time to cannonball into his love. Cannonball into his grace. It's time to cannonball into the plans and purposes that he has for your life.
I think it would be cool if every sagebrusher, when they went to the public pool this next uh, spring, all of a sudden there was more cannonballs done than ever before. you got to dive in with everything you've got. So the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth looking for someone to strengthen, someone whose heart is fully devoted to him. Do you feel his strength today? Or is there something just not right? You involved in something you shouldn't be involved in? You in a relationship that's not honoring to God? You doing stuff you shouldn't be doing? You, you got a filthy mouth? You got a terrible attitude? You a poor representative of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Repent. Repent of that sin. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Dablin's never done me one bit of good my entire life. I'm going all in for the one who went all in for me. I'm giving you everything I've got. Do or do not. There is no try. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira where I make big boasts and claim that I'm all in for you, but in reality I've only given you half. You've shown us very clearly in Scripture what you think about that people who live that way, people who act that way. We don't want to follow in that footstep. Lord, we thank you that you're not looking for perfection because none of us can reach that. That's why you came. That's why you died. But you are looking for honesty, truthfulness. So Lord, help us to be truthful first with ourselves, to say these are the areas that we're struggling with. Give us the, the power to surrender those things over to you. To finally let those things go. So we can finally be free to truly be the people that you want us to be. God, may we cannonball. Be fully committed and fully devoted to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.